Cool. Now, how many people here last week for the... Okay, okay, most of you guys, so good. We are so excited to have week one. I was going to say two, but week one of our governance series. So get your pens out, get your pads out, and, and let's welcome Christina as she comes to bring week one. Come on. Thank you. Um, Eunice, can you please put up the slide for the series? Do you have that there? Beautiful, thank you. We have a lovely slide to accompany the series. Isn't that beautiful? Very nice. Okay, so as you can see, the dates are up there. It actually goes all the way up to Easter. Woohoo! Um, and so they aren't necessarily the topic headings, but these are the topics, they are the, the conversations that we will be having. So you can see their heart journey, rightly dividing, ruling your domain, internal pillars. And these aren't necessarily what you're thinking. So um, renewing the mind, feeding from the tree of life and how to build on the rock and more. Um, yes. Yeah, okay. All right, I was going to say something and decided not to. All right, so welcome to session one. Um, I have the privilege of opening the series. I'm very excited about it. And I'm just going to warn you straight off the bat that you will be hearing the word self-governance a lot today. So self-governance, self-governance, self-governance. A lot today. So this is session one. And today is, um, you know what, self-governance is such a massive conversation that, you know, and the purpose of session one is to lay a foundation for the rest of the series, okay? So there will be... Um, I'm just, yeah, the purpose of today is to lay the foundation and then to touch on some of the things. And, you know, Todd gets up this morning and preaches half my word, as per usual, which is good for you guys. But, all right, so, um, and the reason why I'm personally excited about self-governance um, and anything connected to self-governance is because it's what has allowed me to completely realign my life. Because it's one thing to be exposed to amazing teaching, which will only ever be information unless it has a place to land in the inner world. So a place like Field of Dreams is, you know, we have no complaints as to the content that comes out of this house. It is life-changing stuff. But unless the crooked paths are made straight, there's nowhere for that to land. So self-governance for me has been something that I have pursued ever since I understood it was a thing. I had never heard of it before. Um, and I'm going to be sharing a little bit about that um, throughout this. So I hope you are as excited as I am about this. Yeah, woo, okay, there we go. <laughs> Very good. And the most common feedback I get whenever I talk about self-governance is, I've never heard of this stuff. No, no one ever talks about the inner world like this. And, and that was true for me. So, um, and it's not just me. And I think one of the things I'm going to say first is, when we, when we come into faith, when, whether we're born and raised a Christian or we, or we get introduced to the Lord, you know, it's almost like you get a starter pack, like, you know, um, get saved, tick, get baptised, tick, here's a Bible, read it, this is how you worship, this is how you pray, and they're all good things, right? It's all part of being discipled and mentored in the things of the Lord. But if we don't understand that that, is, that, that, that has to come from a place... The, the most, I'm going to say the biggest misconception around the faith is you have to do what's right. There's, the, the Lord doesn't want us to do, he wants us to be. 
And in order to be, that has to come from the only thing that is ours to govern and control, and that is the inner world. So you can't be without taking the inner world into consideration. So, um, yeah, okay. All right. Now, there's a, there was a statement on that slide that said something along the lines of, you know, the self-governance or the inner world around this series is understanding... Oh, there it is. Understanding how the inner world works in conjunction with the spirit world. Now, that statement pretty much describes our existence because we are mostly aware of the natural realm, the world that we can see, that we're conscious of, but we are completely subject to what happens in the parent realm, the superior realm, the spirit world. And our inner world is directly impacted and influenced by the spirit world, and the spirit world is impacted and, and affected by what happens in our inner world. So the two are linked. And this, it's this dynamic here that a lot of the body don't understand. Okay. All right. So why is self-governance important? It is crucial to stewarding your scroll. Crucial. Not important, it's crucial to stewarding scroll. Because where we have a lack of self-governance, that area of our heart can go into hope deferred. Hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. So, um, yeah. It's important enough for FOD to do a 10-week series. Okay, let's just say that. All right. So I want to start by laying down the foundation. And the foundation is pretty much not the definition of self-governance. The foundation has to be the rock. The foundation of self-governance has to be the rock. So I'm going to be using... Um, I'm going to be going more into... Um, I'm not teaching the whole series, by the way. You're going to see me for the next two weeks, but then you know, we have others. But next week, I'm going to go more into uh, the, the self-governance Jesus uh, demonstrated. So we will unpack the rock more next week. Um, but I just, want to, I just want to start by saying that it's okay to love power. I love power. Power is very important to me. And none of you are any different, okay? So when I say power, I mean the need to control something. I love power and information is power. Knowledge is power. And so what I hope that you get out of um, today's session and the rest of the series is a greater awareness or an understanding of what's actually happening. What are the mechanics of going, what's going on inside? What are the mechanics of my inner world? And how does that relate to the dynamics of the spirit world? Because if we only focus on one, if, we, if we're constantly focusing on heart journey and not taking this, the, the, what's actually happening in the spirit world, it's a faithless construct and we don't gain traction. And if we're only focused on the spiritual world and we're not taking the inner world into account, it's a religious construct. Is everyone okay? Okay. So I love power because knowledge is power, and, and, and knowledge gives me... I feel empowered when I understand what's happening. And the building blocks of good self... Okay, so I'm talking about self-governance. So let's just assume that every time I say self-governance, I'm talking about the Lord's kind. I'm talking about what he purposed for us to build and steward. I'm talking about good self-governance, okay? Um, healthy. And the building blocks of self-governance have to be built on the tree of life. Have to be built from knowledge and information that we receive through the tree of life. But I'm not going to go into that because it's somebody else's session. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, 
You can guess who. <laughs> All right. Now, if we don't understand, so why is knowledge important? If we don't understand, if we don't have that awareness, we don't have that insight, it's going to be impossible to maintain. Okay? And what happens when we're not able to maintain something? We go into, we actually have no choice. We are triggered into survival mode. We are triggered into damage control. Okay? All right. So I'm going to start the conversation with a pretty logical, you know, from a pretty logical starting point. What is self-governance? Now, I do not for one second stand up here today thinking that I'm going to be able to explain, because I don't even understand the fullness myself, but I'm not going to be able to give a complete you know, concept, here you go, that this is the fullness of self-governance. It's a huge conversation, but I'm just going to go with where I felt the Lord lead me to go, in especially thinking about, you know, laying down the foundation, is that if you're taking notes, uh, this, is, this is important. Self-governance should not be... <laughs> no, it should be. Self-governance should be a posture of rest, okay? It is not protection or defence, Self-governance shouldn't cause us to feel that we are in a constant state of defence and the need to protect ourselves. Self-governance is rest. I'm going to unpack what that means. It is actually the establishment and continuity of peace. That's what self-government, that's the whole idea. Okay? Now, the key there in that statement, the key there is first there needs to be the establishing of self-governance. Okay? And then we get the continuity of peace. When you begin, if, this, if you're new, if, if self-governance is a whole new concept to you or you've heard about it but you've never actually really engaged it, I'm going to tell you right now that the, the, the beginning stages when you begin to recalibrate and realign your inner world to govern properly does not feel entirely peaceful because you've already built things that serve you. So the initial stages aren't necessarily peaceful but it is the most liberating and rewarding process apart from, you know, the Lord himself that you'll ever go through. So it doesn't always start peaceful. And I, I, I feel that that normally discourages people. They start off with good intentions. They want to establish, you know, um, godly boundaries in their world, and then they, they're, they're discouraged by the response that they get in, you know, through relationships or through, um, you know, sacrifice or whatever it is. So we have to see it. We have to see it as um, a crunching process, but you're still completely in control. Okay. Okay. So in a nutshell, just to make sure that I've, you know, in a nutshell, self-governance is the place that we navigate things like relationships, friendships. It's a place you parent from. It's a place that you spouse from. It's a place that you work from. It's, it's, it, what, it's what defines your boundaries, how you manage your time pretty much your life in general. It's all connected. Okay. When I came into FOD, gosh, whenever I say that, I could go in so many places. When I came into FOD, I just triggered the whole time. The whole time, and it wasn't until, you know, I had breathing space that I was able to look back and go, why do these people trigger me so much? I, I, there was no, they were always nice to me, mostly, you know, <laughs> mostly, 
People were nice, but inside I was just constantly just agitated, 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 agitated. And then I realised, and especially looking back now, it was because my, all of my value systems, the way that Christina functions, the way that I have framed up how I engage the world was constantly challenged because a place like Field of Dreams don't trade on bad governance. So I found myself exposed and weighed up against something that was beyond my understanding, and, but I knew that it was good because the fruit was good. I couldn't find a place to land accusation because that's the first thing we want to do whenever something in us is challenged. We feel exposed or vulnerable. We look for a reason to land accusation, to, to take offence to something. So I wasn't asked to say this, by the way. This, this has come from my heart. FOD is a really, really good place to, to reevaluate or assess what we've actually built inside, what creates our value systems, because it's a place of good governance. Really, really good governance. Okay. It's a good opportunity. It, for me, it was provision. I will always see it as provision. Okay. Now, self-government is not to be confused with management. Okay? Self-management is survival. Most of us are, are managing. We are managing ourselves. Self-governance is governing. Now, what's the difference? Governing requires responsibility. Where you consider yourself to be governing, abdication is not an option. You're not governing if you're abdicating. They're, they're the complete opposites. Governance requires conviction. It has to be motivated by something greater than your feels. The heart is deceitful and wicked above all things who can know it. So it has to come from a place, it has to be motivated by conviction. Governance requires objectivity. We have to know the difference between our heart and what governing is. And that's hopefully what you're going to get throughout the rest of the series, how to separate the heart, because the heart is a completely separate issue. And I will be teaching a, seri uh, a series, um, I will be teaching a session on the heart in, in, in relation to what everything we've been, we, we are going to be talking about. But going back to self-governance is not managing yourself. That's survival, okay? It, governance requires responsibility, because abdication isn't an option. Conviction, not simply to survive, because you were actually building onto something that is greater than your feels, and objectivity, where we know, where we're able to build a level of discernment where we can remove our heart, because it is our heart that'll get us into trouble most of the time. Okay? Our heart processes super subjectively. Okay. So it's a paradigm shift. We have to see self-governance. We have to allow it to create some sort of paradigm shift. I'm going to... Um, uh, I'm going to start with... I didn't give you any scriptures. Sorry. Okay. We don't have many, so that's good. Can you please, when you find it, can you put up Jeremiah 31, 33? I knew I forgot something. Oh, wow. Did I, did I give it to you? No. Okay. Okay. Very good. Okay. All right. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel 
after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law into their inward parts and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, that's from the King James. Oh, oh, you've got that one there. Okay, yep. So inward parts, your core, the, the essence of who you are, that word also means mind. So the reason why I wanted to start there is this. The Lord has already given us everything we need. He's already given us his constitution. He's written it in our inward parts. So our responsibility is to steward that and then build accordingly. So self-governance isn't something that you find. Self-governance is stripping ourselves of all of the things that we have built, placed value in, and we've raised those things above the knowledge of him. When we say the knowledge of God, we're talking about his values. So we're not talking about the things that God knows. So things that raise themselves above the knowledge of God is the same thing as saying things that raise themselves above, God's, above what God values. So the reason why I wanted to go here was we are not expected to build governance brick by brick through our own understanding. The Lord has written his, his constitution, he's written his values deep in our, in, in our inward part. Now, the problem with that is we have to find that inward part and we are born into a fallen nature. And the enemy tries from when we're super young, he tries to create crooked paths. He tries to create filters that make it difficult to find the pathway to that inward part where the truth is written. So we, he's given us everything that we need. Now, just on that, I want to say this. If that weren't true, if it weren't true that the Lord had written his constitution, his truth, it's the same thing as saying truth. It's, it's not his truth, it is the truth. There's only one truth, right? He's written the truth deep in our DNA, deep in the core of who we are. If that weren't true, then you would never feel hurt. You could be subject to abuse and you would never be hurt because what is the abuse coming up against? When you are, when you are subject to nastiness, abuse, betrayal, whatever it is, it's coming up and grating up against something. Why, would, why do we ever experience pain? Because deep in our innermost being, we know the truth. You only feel pain where there is life flowing. You cut your hair, it doesn't hurt. You cut your fingernails, it doesn't hurt because there's no blood flowing. But there is life. There is a life source that his blood paid for. There is a life source deep in our innermost being that is why whenever we are exposed to something nasty in the schoolyard or we're neglected by our parents or whatever it is, it's coming up against a truth that we don't know how to navigate. Well, I can't make sense of what's actually happening. This is my reality. But this, this deep innermost being of me tells me that I shouldn't be subject to this and we can't handle it and we disassociate. But if you didn't have his truth written in you, you wouldn't know what you're worth. So that tells us that deep down we know what we're worth, which is why we experience pain. Does that make sense? Okay, very good. Very good. So the war, the only war that you ever really need to be concerned about is the war that keeps you from finding the straight pathways to that truth, that constitution that is written deep in us. That's why the enemy starts from when we're young. 
the best way that he keeps the enemy, keeps us from that internal truth is by creating internal chaos. Creating internal chaos means that, you know, we, we, we are programmed, we are designed by human nature to avoid chaos, to avoid discomfort, to avoid confusion and pain. So if we, are, if we don't have the resources at the time to navigate that pain, navigate that, that, that confusion or discomfort, we disassociate. And, but, and we have to go back at some point and we have to make that crooked path straight. It is the chaos that keeps us away from that truth that is written. So it was always the Lord's plan to govern with us from the core. It is not our responsibility to create plumb line, to create truth. That is deception. That is a lie. That's what Eve tried to do. It is not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to steward that which is truly written in us. And if, you're, if it was too quick and you're wondering what it, what it was that I was talking about that make the crooked path straight, I was talking about trauma and betrayal, grief, pride, pain, rebellion, all, all, all of those. Just, yeah. There's so many things I want to say. I'll just say this really quickly. I'll say this really quickly. All of those things that I just listed, okay? All of those things, once we're exposed to them, this is not meant to be a teaching on the heart, but it's, I just have to stop you for a second. Every time we're exposed to one of those things, trauma, pain, discomfort, grief, loss, any one of those things, we're exposed to information, but it's only ever just information. We're exposed to it. When that happens, if, we don't, if we're not aware of truth, we come into agreement. And Todd was talking about that this morning from a different angle, but essentially we're saying the same thing. We come into agreement with that external value and we adopt it as our own and we betray the truth that is in us by adopting that truth, sorry, that, that value, which is a lie. And that is how we come under accusation. Todd, I think he quoted this, like I said, he pretty much spoke my word. You know, the enemy goes before the Lord day and night accusing you. He's not just accusing you of the thing that you stole 10 years ago or looking at someone lustfully, you know, last week. He's accusing you of the things in your heart that aren't built on truth. He's accusing you for every time you've allowed him to choke out that internal truth. That creates corrupt governance. Wherever there's a crooked path, wherever the truth is compromised in us, creates corrupt governance. And that's, that's why I was triggered off my face when I came into this place so many years ago, because, I mean, the corruptness worked for me, but it didn't fit in to everybody else. It, it, I couldn't land. It didn't take me long to work out, oh, I think I'm the problem. I think I need to adjust something here. You know, mm, mm. you know, you write something down because it makes sense at the time and then you read it and you're like, I don't think I should say that. <laughs> but no, you know what? Okay, whatever. All right. Um, I, I'm okay with being super transparent, right? Todd says within bounds and sometimes I'm like, where are my bounds? <laughs> I don't know where my bounds are. <laughs> but anyway, you know, if I didn't go through... Okay, I'll say this first so this makes sense. 
sometimes people ask me, you know, how did you, what was your journey like? Because it was relatively quick. You know, what, what did that look like? And it looked like many things, and this wasn't the only thing, but this was a major, major part of it. Most of my journey was realigning my inner world through learning soft governance. That was, that was you know, most of it. And if I didn't go through that journey, I'll tell you right now, I'd be dangerous. If, okay, I wouldn't be dangerous to you because there was no way that I was going to be risen up to the capacity that I've been risen up and trusted with your hearts. There's no way that that would have happened. But in other churches, it does happen. In other places, workplaces or whatever, it does happen. So what that makes for, corrupt governance makes for dangerous people who illegitimately distribute the weight of their inner world and project their stuff onto you. That's where you get control and manipulation. That's where you get things like spiritual abuse. I wouldn't be able to serve because going through the process of realigning and establishing godly self-governance enlarges your heart and it actually builds you up and prepares you the ability to serve and capacity to serve. And where there is corrupt governance, there is no peace, there is no justice, just the justice that we define for ourselves, and there are constant liabilities. So if there's a part of us that we are not governing God's way, and I can guarantee you that there is definitely a part in all of us that we are not governing God's way, there is no peace, there is no justice. I'm talking about his justice, not what we define as justice, and it will remain a constant liability. So now we've come back full circle, okay? Because at the very beginning, I said that self-governance is the establishment and the continuity of peace. And it's not to protect the brokenness and it's not to protect the sore spots. That is not what that means. That's survival. So if, you're not, if, you're, so if we're in survival, we're not governing. Okay. All right, continuing to lay down the foundation, I just wanted to quickly um, go into how self-governance connects to love, just really quickly. I'm not going to go for super long today because um, I wanted to keep it separate from where I'm going to go next week. I didn't want to open up too many conversations. But I just really want to quickly unpack how self-governance becomes key in the pathway to maturity and love. The first thing I'm going to say is it's a fruit of the Spirit. Now, you, you can get technical and say, Christina, it's not what it says. It doesn't say self-governance, it says self-control. It's the same thing. Because you try to control yourself when you've got bad, corrupt governance. It is, it's the same thing. And also, the word for self-control, the root word there in the Greek actually means domain. So it's the same thing. When you govern, what are you governing? You're governing a domain. So it's a fruit of the Spirit, according to Galatians, right? Going back to the pathway of love. Self-governance is, is key in building our ability to, or capacity to give love and to receive love. I'm going to... Can you please find... <laughs> 2 Peter 1, 5 to 7, please. I've got so many post-it notes, I don't even know what I'm doing, hold on. Okay. Yes, okay. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith, to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control. That's what we're doing. We're doing the knowledge and the self-control, okay? 
and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. Do you ever wonder why it's really hard to love people? It's because there's a part of your heart that is programmed to not let you love people, because that part of your heart is built on a core belief that is a lie that doesn't allow you to love yourself, let alone receive the Lord's love. So love is the ultimate goal. It's the thing that's not going to, you know, everything else will pass away. Love will, will the only thing that will remain. So according to the, the value system of heaven, when we understand love in, in his value system, we're governing really, really well. Up until then, we create pathways to obtain love that are counterfeit. They're laced with manipulation or control. They're laced with trading or enabling or appeasing. And why else is that important? Apart from saying, yes, I've I come into agreement with, with the highest currency that motivates heaven, which is love. The other reason why that's important is because if we want to come into the fullness of who we are, we cannot circumvent the enlarging of the heart process. Your heart is, this isn't in my notes, but I just saw a picture. A corrupt government system internally creates a very restrictive, just, just almost like a cage. It, it, the, the, it, it, has, it becomes bondage. And that's not the devil, that's what we've created. We've created it by empowering the things that we've allowed things to speak and preach to us. Todd was talking about everything speaks to us, everything preaches. And I'm going to be, I am going to be teaching a session um, on uh, pain, how to process pain, what, what, what actually is pain. So we're going to go deeper into that, but I just wanted to touch on that because we are talking about love. So if we, if we feel that we are struggling to, to love or to even to receive love, one of the first places we need to go is, okay, so what, what are our value systems? Because your value systems define your self-governance. Or actually, I should say management. You're surviving. How do I know? Okay. All right. Depending on what we have in our heart, this... Self-control, okay? We just read a whole scripture based on this, this, this continuum. This then leads to this, this then leads to this, right? That is what directly affects our will. So our will is what allows us to, it's like a lever or lever, depending on where you're from. It's like a lever that either inclines itself toward the things of the Lord or the things that, give us counterfeit source of comfort or addictions or idols or whatever they are. You know, where your treasure is, treasure is, there your heart will be also. Rachel's word. And just to end the topic of love, can you see how these are all massive conversations? We are not dropping love. We're not just, I'm not just, you know, okay, love, yeah, that's great, tick that box, move on. We are going, throughout the rest of the series, these, these concepts, or sorry, these, these topics are going to be revisited in many different ways. That, that's the beauty of a series, because you can carry an entire thread or theme through over and over again, but covering it from all angles. So we will re be revisiting love. 
but just uh, in, you know, to move on, um, another reason why the love factor is so important is because love is directly connected to identity. And that is really what we all want the most. Above all, we want identity. Because if it was purely just about scroll, we'd just be robots. We'd be task-focused. But deep down, we're all wanting to know who we are. So how we internally govern will determine our ability to know him. Because if we don't, if self-governance is directly connected to love, and love is what we need in order to know him, in order to receive from him, how are we going to get identity? Everything is connected. Because if you remove the love factor, because we have an inability or we have a low capacity to receive love, we begin to form an identity based on our experiences, and your experiences are never-ending. You begin experiencing from the minute you open up your eyes in the morning. Your experience begins all throughout the day until you fall asleep. So there is a constant you know, bombardment of information that is coming, and if, we, if, and if we don't actually have access or ability to receive and have that flow with the Lord, we're going to form our identity. It just happens. Why? Because you were wired to survive. Okay. I want to quickly talk about identity for a minute. I'm going to make a statement. I'm going to say that identity is not a currency that you have a right to trade on. Identity in its truest form is not yours, it's the Lord's. The Lord is the only one that gets to, to define who we are, to define our identity. But every single time you come into agreement with a lie, every single time that you try to avoid something and you betray the truth, the constitution that is written inside of you according to Jeremiah 31, 33, I think it was, you are trading on your identity as though it's a currency. We get a bit Esau-ish. I want to go to, really quickly... Um, you, you don't need a scripture for this one. When, when Adam and Eve took of the fruit and then they heard the Lord coming and they went and hid, he, the Lord asked them a question. He said, who told you that you were naked? I don't even know why I'm getting emotional. He said, who told you that you were naked? Who got in between us? Who told you that you were naked? Had they heard the heart of the Father in that moment, they would have been able to separate him from the shame that they were feeling. They would have been able to separate their identity from the shame that they were feeling. Who told you that you were naked? Shame has to be 
one of the enemy's greatest tools. And I'm going to be using that to unpack in, in, an, in another session. Um, so I don't want to focus on that now. But shame is what redefines our identities. We feel shame. It's a substance. We can't create shame. Shame is something that we come into agreement with. And I'll explain that in another session. But we feel the shame and Maddie's talked about this so many times, that in that moment, they were not able to recognize the Lord for who he was. I mean, the guy had spent years walking in the call of the day with them. All of a sudden, danger, danger, stranger, danger, right? So they go and they hide and they cover themselves and they begin to build. They begin to identify with shame. Now it's part of who they are. It becomes what perverts our our. DNA, our human nature. It's what puts us into survival. And we have believed that lie ever since. Who told you that you were naked? I want to say something very quickly about shame, specifically about this. The Lord said to me, and I'm going to use language that I think I've, I might have even said this from here before, but I'm going to say it again. The Lord said to me one day, he said, when we come into agreement with shame, we let the enemy get into the marriage bed. Okay, the Lord uses marriage language all the time, okay? So let's not be coy. It's, who, who told you that you were naked? Who came in between you and I? Who carries that much currency that, they be, that, that you have to hide yourself from me? We let the enemy come into the middle of the marriage bed. But the reason why we let him do that is because we... We believe the shame is ours. We can't separate it from our identity. If you saw a stranger come into your home, come in between an argument between you and your spouse and start you know, throwing in their two cents worth, you'd kick them out. But if they're invisible and they're coming in, you think it's you. Who told you you were naked? Who told you who, who spoke? Whose voice caused you to go and build in your own ways and in your own understanding? I'm going to go into now the two, the two main areas that I, this is my opinion, that I believe that we confuse, what we confuse for self-governance. So we're shifting gears a little bit. But before I do, I just want to, I've written it, so I'm going to say it. To end that subject on identity, and we don't actually have a right to define who we are outside of the Lord. And if we don't have a right to define who we are outside of the Lord, we shouldn't be able, we, we, we automatically aren't, we don't have the authority or the capacity to build plumb line, to build truth. You are not your own. Okay? So anything that we build outside of him is going to cause us to project our stuff on him. Shame sent them into the bush. They separated themselves from him. They betrayed him. They betrayed their relationship with him. They projected on him. Okay. The two main things that I feel that we confuse for self-governance is ego and the need to control. Ego and the need to control. I believe that they are the matrix that oppose godly self-governance. 
What do I mean by that? Ego is the identity that we build outside of the Lord, our sense of self. That's what ego is. You create a sense of who you are, identity, that is not him. Ego is self-serving. It causes you to create your own value systems, which is the same thing as saying plumb line and truth. And like I said before, we don't have a right, we, we, we don't have a right to create any sense of self outside of the Lord. The spirit world, not just heaven, the spirit world is well aware of this, which is why we constantly come under accusation. You are chargeable for where you have built a sense of self outside of the Lord. The complete opposite to that would be the fear of the Lord, which I'm going to touch on next week. The other thing that I said there were two things. The other thing was for the need for control which is what produces rebellion. And I just want to quickly, just really, really quickly go into control. Most of the building blocks that we have used to build what we think is self-governance is the need to control. It's what sent Eve to the tree of knowledge. She tried to build an identity, okay? Now, the need to control is motivated by fear. Control isn't real. I, I may have said this before. I'm going to say it again because it fits in here. Control, the way that, the thing that, okay, the, our need to control, so the thing that motivates us to control, that is not real. The only thing that is real about control is the relationship you have with your will. It's the only thing that you're free to control. The only thing. Control in and of itself is not real because that, would, that, is, that is exactly the thing that, that motivated her to go to the tree of knowledge. You, we do not carry the full counsel of the Lord. We do not have the capacity to navigate the, the, the knowledge of good and evil. So what are we controlling? Control is not real. And I just really, really quickly want to share with you something that he said to me that really helped me um, overcome areas that I was like, I can't afford to not control in this area. So the Lord, he, he, he showed me like almost in like a parable, but it wasn't, it wasn't a story. It was a fact. It was something that actually happened, but he showed it to me through a parable. He said to me, this is the truth about control. And I hope I explain it. It makes perfect sense to me, but I hope it makes sense to you. There was only one time in the history of humanity when control mattered. There was only one time. Now, when I say mattered, I mean mattered to us, you and I. There was only one time that we stood to lose the most or gain the most. And that was when Jesus was in the garden. Okay? Now, that conversation in the garden took place between two parties, the father and the son. But it was actually three parties were involved. We were the third party. Mankind, the human race, were the third party. But we, we were the only party not present. Okay? In that moment, what was hanging in the balance was everything concerning you. The father had no skin in the game. I'm talking about overall, big picture. 
Jesus had temporary skin in the game, but you and I had our entire bodysuit in the game. You and I were the only ones that were going to be affected by the outcome of that conversation, right? And we weren't even aware of the conversation. So if there was a time in history when, when control actually defined our existence and everything that is important to us, it was in that moment and we weren't even there. We weren't even aware of it. We were completely powerless in that moment. But the Lord chose the better part because that is who he is. So any time that the enemy tries to use control as a currency to motivate us to do things and continue to separate ourselves from him, it's a farce. It's not real. It's not real. Because whatever he's telling you you need to control, what currency is it? What, what, what is motivating that? What is the greatest cost in that? The greatest cost to you is being okay with not controlling that. And, and the truth is you can't control it anyway. So we kept on this treadmill that becomes torturous for the rest of our living days. So control from what the enemy presents to you is not real. It's exactly how he presented the fruit to Eve. You can control your capacity and your standing amongst the LOM. Here, take this. Control's not real. Yet it is the greatest motivator for our bondage. Does that make sense? Okay. It's a scam. All right. So, landing. I'm going to land now. I'm, let me just remove my mountain of post-it notes. Okay. I'm going to, I, want to, I want to land on summarizing um, just the main points of what I've said. And I'm going to start with self-governance isn't a construct. It's not a construct. It's an entire economy. Okay? And if... So, so do, when I say it's not a construct, the reason why I use that language is don't try to... Okay, I will understand self-governance if, if I can define it like this. It, it's, it's an invitation into entire lifestyle. That's what self-governance is. It's not a construct. It's an entire economy. It's a, it's, it's, it's a whole new world. And like I said, according to Jeremiah 31, 33, the Lord has already, he's already done the hard work. He's already, he's already done his part. He's already written truth. He's already given who he is, DNA of what he is, his substance in our innermost being. And our life is supposed to be an exciting journey of stripping back those things that we have inherited, either through iniquity or from our past experiences or just deception. We get to make those crooked paths straight and get to the constitution that is actually promising of a continuity of peace, making the crooked paths straight. We get to feed from his resources. He's done, he's done the hard part. So governance is the aim. Governance is where we need conviction. Conviction is not based on your feels. There are days where you don't, like Todd, I mean, Todd pretty much, he took, it's like his spirit comes into, <laughs> no, anyway, Todd was using, you know, the analogy of marriage, like you can't just decide, I don't feel like being married. What I was going to say was, you, you don't, there, I'm sure there are days where you don't feel like being a Christian, but you, just, you don't just go, all right, I'm not a Christian from now until after Christmas because that's the party season. So I'll pick up Jesus again on the other end of January. I mean, maybe some people do. But so we were pretty much saying the same thing. So it, it has to, 
your self-governance has to be based on conviction. Not what your parents demonstrated. Not what you think people around you want, want, want to see. has to be based on your conviction and not motivated by our feels. It requires, governance requires responsibility. We do not have the luxury of abdicating, which I will go into another time. And again, objectivity. Good governance requires objectivity, where we have to be, we have to learn how to separate the heart from truth. As opposed, as opposed to what serves us, what feels good, what doesn't cost me much, what doesn't cost others much. Your, when you establish good godly self-governance, you can almost guarantee that the cost will not only be to you, but it will be to others that you have formed corrupt governance with. It's just, it's just how it is. Next week, I'm going to be talking about... Um, I've kind of already gone there, but I'm going to be talking more about the fear of the Lord because that is the greatest power... According to heaven, the, the, thing, the greatest power source for godly self-governance is the fear of the Lord. And we know that through Isaiah 11.3. And so I'm going to be unpacking that, focusing more on what Jesus demonstrated and also how to cultivate that. So what even is the fear of the Lord? Like, how do you... Okay, we might understand it, but how do you cultivate that? How do I bring a concept like that or, you know, a, a, a substance, a truth, a part of who he is into my little corrupt government? But I just wanted to lay the foundation first today for the rest of the series. But now we have an overall idea of what self-governance is. Well, I hope we, we do. Um, and like I said, the, it'll be repeated throughout the series through all the sessions. So don't worry if it hasn't fully landed. And, and it, you know, I've already had a couple of um, emails come through. So please, if any, through any one of the sessions, send in your questions. Um, now, I have homework for you. For those that are wanting to do it, of, of course, it's optional. But the word of the season was that, you know, we, we need to realign. The, the words, the, the, the theme throughout the words were, you know, it's a season of, of judgments. It's a, it's a season of rewards. And that comes at a cost, and one of those costs is homework. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, it's optional, but it would behoove you. Okay. Now, these are the things that I did for myself, okay? So, just two things. Rachel will probably give you 15. <laughs> I'm only going to give you two. Um, the first thing is list the areas that you think or feel that you're governing well in. So the things that you think or feel, the areas that you think or feel that you're governing well in. And the second one is list the areas that you think or feel you're not governing well in. Now, the reason why I want you to do that from the beginning of the series is because I don't want you to be influenced by what you think is the right answer. Okay? So we're going to do a before and after. Okay? Because we tend to do that. Like when we fill out those personality tests and you're like, I'm not going to say that. I'm going to answer this one over here. Because the, the purpose, I mean, no one's going to see your homework, right? This is for you. This is, this is teaching you how you're really efficient. Thank you. Um, uh, this is also teaching us how to map. 
So we're kind of killing two birds with one stone. Um, and then by the end of the series, when you have more understanding or you've, you've had an opportunity to hear what self-governance is or the inner world is, because um, it's, it's, the series isn't just about self-governance. It's about everything connected to self-governance. It's the inner world, right? It's the only thing that we can control. It's the only thing we've been given to steward to control. Um, it's, it's, it's very interesting to see what, we, what, what our value systems are and what we would define as good or not good compared to the end. It's, see it as a fun exercise, okay? Well, that is it. That ends session one. Thank you for listening. I do communion, don't I? Yes, communion. All right, pull out your communion. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. Okay. I'm actually going to I'm actually going to bring that before the Lord through your communion. Okay? All right. Holy Spirit. We thank you for this series. We thank you that the that your word for the season, your word for for your people is being outworked in so many different ways. And as we hold this communion in our hands right now, your word says to consider the things that, we, that are not right, where we do not have right standing with anything. That, that scripture doesn't talk about between us and another person. It says with anything, anything that there is a heart matter. So we present before you our intention of doing the homework. We present before you the, the invitation that we feel that you're calling us into that would you just begin to breathe on and reveal the secrets of the landscape of our inner world, the, the building blocks of our value systems. We thank you that this is only made possible because of the sacrifice through your son. And we look forward with expectation and anticipation for what it is that you're going to reveal, equip, support and accelerate in our worlds through this time, through the stewarding of the things that are brought through you. In Jesus' name, amen.